Welcome to episode 32 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I'm your host, retired FBI Supervisory Special Agent Darren Mott. And in this episode, I'm going to talk politicians, policies, or prayers with Paul Perry of the CPA firm out of Birmingham, Warren Averett. Paul is the practice leader of the Risk and Controls Division of the Corporate Advisory Services Department of the firm. He's also a cybersecurity expert, and we are going to talk a bunch of different things. I hope you'll enjoy it. But before we get there, I want to take this time to, as always, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, one thing uh, I'll mention is if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, feel free to do so. Uh, if you send me a, a connection request, if you could just let me know you you were coming to, to that request through the podcast, that'd be great. I don't always accept LinkedIn requests if I don't necessarily recognize the person who is sending me the request or they have a shared contact. So um, if you have sent me one in the past and didn't let me know you got it through the podcast, hit me up again and I'll do that. I am also looking to create a cyber guy page on Facebook. Now, ironically, and I will admit the hypocrisy here, I railed on Facebook in my last podcast because of the recent data breach. But in Facebook's defense, they have created a monopolistic entity that makes it very hard to do certain things uh, without their use. And so I'm, I'm thinking of creating a cyber guy um, page on there to provide educational information and stuff that you may not get if you're not on LinkedIn, um, and, but it's easy to find and, and hopefully has some value. So if you think that's a good idea or a bad idea, feel free to hit me up in the email, darren at thecyberguy.com. Uh, it's not ready for prime time. It actually doesn't really exist, but I'm looking to put that together. So hopefully I have some news on that in the coming weeks. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions or thoughts on the podcast, feel free to email me. I appreciate getting the emails and, and talking to folks uh, online and, and helping to answer any questions, especially about the FBI. If you're curious about joining the FBI, either in an agent or support role, hit me up there and I will try to give you some insight into how to become an FBI employee if that's something you're looking to do. And I will put a plug for the Bureau here in Huntsville, Alabama. They are hiring a bunch of people to come work here because there are headquartered jobs moving from the National Capital Region to Huntsville. And the people in those jobs are not moving with them. So there's a lot of vacancies. And if you want to move to a nice low tax area of the country. Huntsville is the place to go. So before we get to my interview with Paul, I've got a couple of news items just to make note of for your awareness. Uh, the first one came to me from a friend and I talk a lot about uh, different scams and, and how to protect yourselves, protect your kids and protect your elderly parents or your elderly relatives online. But this particular article uh, was directed to me by a friend of mine. Uh, it has to do with a uh, current scam that is being perpetrated against seniors. Um, and it's very ingenious and it makes it very hard for people who are potential victims to kind of say no to it and not become victims. Uh, and so this is from the Orlando Sentinel and Ron Herturbisi, uh of the Sun Florida, South Florida Sun Sentinel is reporting. But he says, so this is reading from the article, Delray Beach resident Diane Bell, 68, had no reason to be suspicious on March 1st when she opened an email claiming to be from Best Buy's Geek Squad. She had opted for a Geek Squad technical support plan when she bought her MacBook in 2017. Like many other older adults venturing into the online universe, she didn't know how to fix computer problems and wanted to be able to get help when necessary. The email stated that her support plan had been extended for three years and her credit card charged $392.95. If she wanted to reverse the charge, she needed to call the customer support number in the email within 24 hours. Now, before I go further, 
Everybody put your place or put yourself in Diane's place. If you get that email, what are you doing? You are calling that support number. Now, fortunately, there was nothing to click. It was a number she had to call, but that's kind of where the scam takes off from that point on. So dialing the number um, was a decision belts who, uh, who ultimately lost $1,800 and an unknown, unknowable number of other victims soon came to regret. So I'm not going to read You can find this article online if you want to. It's called Seeking Technical Support Senior Swindled. Basically, and it's not a surprising scam, is now chances are thousands of people got this email, knew they didn't have a Geek Squad account and just kind of got rid of it. But if you are on, you know, if, if you are getting up there in age, you may have forgotten what you signed up for, where and when. I mean, I, you know, if I bought a computer five years ago and I had a service agreement, would I remember that I purchased it or that it was set to expire? Maybe, maybe not. But when someone says they charge my credit card $392, I would be pissed and I would probably, well, I don't, well, I, I would not call the customer support number. I would check my bank account and see if that charge had actually occurred. But, you know, there's a lot of people that obviously this, this lady was one of them that, that clicked on that link to see what was going on. So there was another victim in this article that lost $52,000 to this Geek Squad scam. So the point being, you know, you have to help your elderly parents, your elderly, sorry, elderly relatives understand these particular threats are out there and what to do if they're they're hit by. I'll give you another example. Today, I was talking to my brother. He's visiting my mother in upstate New York, and he got a phone call on her landline, uh, and so he answered it, and the person said, Grandpa? And then he said, What? And the guy hung up. Clearly, this was an attempt to call a number, hope to get a male or female, and if it was, and, and say, Grandma or Grandpa, and then if, you know, it's the elderly parent that answers it, you know, it, like my my parents have, I should know this off the top of my head, but I don't, seven grandkids. And so if someone called and said grandma or grandpa, you're going to assume it's one of your grandkids and you're going to engage in that conversation. And the way that scam leads on ultimately is they'll say something like they are traveling and they got their wallet stolen and they need $1,000 wired to them or whatever. It's another type of scam. So the key thing here, how to protect your the elderly, your elderly relative safe, is to just keep reminding them that these scams occur. Um, if you have the capability to monitor their email or monitor their their bank account information, just so you can see fictitious or suspicious charges, you can kind of get in front of it early. Just and again, I just make the point here that these are out there. Know that they're not going to be slowing down. Uh, so my second article is, if I can pull it up, has to do with law firms. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is an article out of law.com, the New Jersey Law Journal. And I'm only going to read a little bit of this, but uh, the um, Charles Tutant is the author. But he said, a recent hacking incident at a New Jersey law firm has served as a reminder of the risks that cybercrime poses to the legal profession. Amid growing awareness of cybercrimes against law firms, a few lawyers are holdouts who remain unconvinced of the need to protect their practices from hacking, according to cybercrime experts. Now, Paul and I are going to talk a little bit about this method, this mentality in the interview later, but, um, you know, the issue here is there are a lot of companies, and I'm not just picking on law firms, this is just the article dealing with law firms, but if you're a small company and you don't think you have anything anyone would want, I've said this Again, some of you who are longtime listeners are sick of me saying this. You can probably count, 
you you know, uh, into the dozens, a number of times I've said this, but you, every company has something someone wants. Small law firms, small accounting firms, especially in small areas of the country, even if it's a two-person law firm, there is information within that law firm that is of value to cyber actors, even if it's just a network on which that law firm resides. So I, I make this particular, read this particular article just to reiterate the point that no company is too small for cyber actors. You need to protect yourself. You need to educate your employees so that they engage into uh, cybersecurity protection overall. The last article here is not, well, I actually have two. Uh, well, I'm going to talk real quickly about, I mentioned la, in the last podcast that Broward County Public Schools, the sixth largest in the country, had been hit with a ransomware. As of today, there was another report of another school district in Massachusetts this time that got hit with ransomware. If you are in education listening to this at all, um, please reach out to your IT folks to give me a call to talk about how to help understand these threats. I can kind of help you with that, so feel free to do that. But just understand, even parents, if you are, you know, if your kids are working, uh, are doing school from home, just understand that, you know, there are a lot of threats out there targeting schools. These will continue on, I'm sure, in the next podcast. I'll have another school that I'll talk about. But my last news article here is from governmenttechnology.com. And the title of it is North Dakota Takes a Multi-Pronged Approach to Cybersecurity. Julia Edinger is the author of this particular article, but it reads, and I'll read a little bit of it, the never-ending onslaught of cyber attacks against government is pushing the state of North Dakota to take proactive action on several fronts, including the education space and working with the public to understand these threats. And you can find this article, you can read about it, but essentially what it's talking about is North Dakota has created an online portal where people can get training on understanding the cyber threats out there. They can do a cybersecurity assessment. Now, the, the one issue I had with this, and I went to the website just to look at it because I thought it was interesting, was there is a click a, a link you can click on there that basically talks about how to do a, your own personal self-assessment. The issue I have with this is it goes to a, a third party that is requesting your email before they'll do the cybersecurity assessment. Now, granted... My guess is you're not going to be charged with anything, but you're going to get a lot of emails from this particular firm asking you to pay for services down the line. If that's something that you want to do, if you're in North Dakota, that's great. And I certainly do not um, think that other states should not be doing this. The more education, the better, I say. I would just say be a little more upfront on what you're doing with that as far as having a third-party partner. And there's nothing wrong with a third-party partner. I'm just saying that, um, you know, be careful with that. But again, this is a thumbs up to North Dakota for at least trying to get the information out there to, to their particular um, population. And feel free to go to the site and, and look through their stuff. Uh, it is called, and I seem to have lost the link on that, so I'm not going to have it. Oh, I'll take that back. I will have it right here if I bring it up real quick. The website, if you're so inclined, is... What's it called? Defend.nd.gov. Chances are you'll see more states doing this. And, you know, if the states provide you with free information on cybersecurity, take it where you can. So I want to welcome onto the podcast for the special podcast about politicians, policies, or prayers, Paul Perry of Warren Averett out of Birmingham. Paul, thanks for coming on. Aaron, thanks for having me. So you explained to me your title, and I've, of course, seen it and read it, but I'll let you explain your title, what you do, and then, then we'll talk about how we got to this point and why we're talking on this podcast. Absolutely, Aaron. <laughs> thanks for uh, having me. So uh, I'm a member of uh, Warren Averett CPA firm. We, uh, my, I'm the practice leader of the Security Risk and Controls Group. So for those that are familiar with practices inside of a CPA firm, we do a lot of the risk assurance work, right? So if it's controls-related our team handles that, whether it's financial, operational, technology, 
in nature. Uh, we go in, we, we assess controls, we audit controls, uh, we review controls, and where independence isn't impaired, uh, we can help um, you know, some companies establish some of those controls and some of those best practices uh, around any, any, any of that. So uh, my team, we do a lot of risk assessments. We do a lot of um, SOC audits. We do internal control work. We work with internal audit departments. So we do a lot around control and risk. So you've had the misfortune of seeing me speak several times in Birmingham, kind of how we met and you followed me on LinkedIn and then had the misfortune of watching me complain about certain news articles regarding policy and the government and cyber over the last uh, couple of weeks or months or whatever. And so you, you were, you were, you were nice enough to have me on your podcast, which we'll talk about in a second. And Absolutely. we got talking about those posts and which kind of led to the creation of this podcast for this week, because you agreed to come on and have a discussion about generally but policy is not exactly an entertaining topic i think to talk about we're going to talk about compliance in a bit because that's your specialty but it's important for people and and business owners to understand the importance of it but also to talk about the realistic capabilities that surround you because a lot of politicians will talk about cybersecurity. it goes way back i remember 10 years ago i was reading a document about defensive cyber capabilities and offensive cyber capabilities that the government wanted to do they never deployed it talked about it a great deal mm-hmm. admiral rogers of nsa did a op-ed a couple weeks ago about that specific policy he didn't talk about it because it was classified but he talked about the basics of it but it never went anywhere but he of course said this was the solution and then dhs has said they're going to do some stuff i'm going to talk about that in a minute but so uh, before I get before I go forward, so you have a podcast that I recently spoke on, so I wanted to thank you for that, and that's called The Wrap. So I want you to talk about that a little bit, so if people want more of what you provide, they can they can go find it. Absolutely. Um, my co-host, uh, Kim Hartsock, one of the partners in our Atlanta office, uh, she and I are the hosts of uh, our firm's podcast called The Wrap. It's really for business leaders. Uh, we like to do 15, 20, 25-minute just conversations about a business topic. Uh, and and quick hits. We're not going to try to get technical. We're, we're not going to try to get into the details, but we want to give enough high-level information so that um, anybody listening on that topic, they know what to talk about. They know what to research. They know what's going on. And uh, it's a really, it's been a good one. We've, we've been doing it for several years now. We've, we're in about season six. Uh, and so uh, I believe yours, yours was, is we've always done one around cybersecurity uh, and it was good to have you on and have that outside perspective because we're all saying the same thing. We may use different words. We may use different um, acronyms, but it's all the same uh, topic as it relates to cybersecurity. So you mentioned controls earlier. We're going to, well, let's, let, before I get to that, let's talk a little bit about compliance and why, is it, why it is important. So if you're a business leader, or really if you're just working in a company, you hear a lot about compliance. Mm-hmm. So explain the importance of compliance to, to, or how do you explain the importance of compliance to your customers? And how do they, how do they funnel that down? Or do they even funnel that down? Yeah, so compliance is a, you know, when you talk about controls and you talk a little bit about policy that you said they're, in all control-related conversations, in all compliance-related conversations, you have a three-headed monster you have to battle. You have what is written down, you have what is expected, and you have what is actually done. And compliance tries to bring the three of those into the same light and, and tries to put them in alignment. You were talking about the politicians that said a lot of things about cybersecurity, but nothing ever happened. Well, that's the expectation. This is, this is good talk. And then there is the, what I want to happen, right? I, w- I want everything for nothing. So I, wanna, I want all the technology in the world for very little money. Well, that's, that's not going to happen. That's a poor expectation. Compliance 
tries to take what is actually done and say, um, you know, is this what should be done based on your size, based on your regulatory compliance requirements, right? We can get into industry when you're talking about financial institutions, healthcare, even defense contractors, that they have some sort of regulatory compliance that they have to follow. And what it tries to do is it tries to level the playing field and we're all playing from the same uh, playbook. We're all doing the same thing. Unfortunately, um, you, you have uh, a, a lot, you have a plethora of uh, frameworks. And it's because somebody started with one and said, you know what, I don't like these five things. I'm going to add these 12 things that I think are better. And now I have a new framework. And then somebody modifies that and I have another framework. So compliance for our customers, we, we or clients, we try to tell them, you know, hey, you need, you, you have certain controls in place Compliance helps you verify that those are actually happening. Uh, we were working with uh, one client that uh, had a cyber liability policy uh, go live. And in the policy or under, during the underwriting, they had to answer 15 questions uh, and about cybersecurity and the controls they had in place. Uh, and the owner was a little worried about it. And, and he brought us in and he said, hey, you know, take a look at these and tell me if we are doing what we should be doing, what it says. And we debunked half of them, right? And so you, that is that is where it's great to talk about it. It's great to set it up, but you got to implement it absolutely every single day. And compliance is really that piece. I think it was uh, Reagan that, that coined the phrase or, or uh, came famous when he was around was uh, trust but verify, which, mm-hmm. you know, hey, um, there's verification in um, the risk mitigation, right? So if I can mitigate my risk, then I am verifying that I am doing what I should be doing. And that's really what compliance is for, for, for our clients, for everybody. So one of the things you mentioned within that was controls. And I want to talk about that for a second, simply because a lot of people, if you're not engaged in this world a lot, you'll hear the term, but it may not make sense to what it actually means. So how do you define controls? And I'll, There's a reason I'm asked that question, which I'll ask with the next question, but I want to set okay. up for, I'm not setting you up for a dinger because this is a question right. I didn't send you previously because I just thought of it sitting here talking, was what is a control? Right. So a control is any procedure or process you have in place to prevent or detect um, an issue. Right. And so um, the CPA side of me is thinking fraud, financial stuff. The, the, the IT side of uh, my brain says, you know, do you have a firewall that's trying to protect you? Do you have um, annual or, or periodic penetration testing being done to verify that that firewall is working the way it should be? Um, and so it's, it's anything from that. And, and no matter your framework, the control um, is a control and, and they say it differently, but they're all talking about the same logical access controls, right? How people access the system, um, password parameters, use the, the use of multi-factor authentication. That's in itself a control. So we talk about those in detective and, and preventative controls uh, and you want a good balance of both. So, so it's a great answer. And I think a lot of this, if, if I'm mis, if I'm incorrect, this correct me. But I think this started with NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, started off with a lot of these frameworks that a lot of these other frameworks developed off of, and they used the term controls. So here is where the government gets in our its own way and gets in our way, in my perspective. So you know about CMMC, the Cybersecurity Maturity right. Model Certification, that's going to be required for all DIB contractors to be able to do to get contracts in the U.S. government. Instead of using controls, they're now calling them practices. Why change the name? What is the purpose to, to going from controls 
to now calling them practices or procedures? What, what's the what's the what's the deal there? You know, the only thing I can think of is a control is sometimes um, manual to some degree, and a, a practice and a procedure denotes activity versus maybe a control. That would be the only thing I would think of in my mind. When, I, when you say the word control, I'm thinking practices, I'm thinking right. procedures, I'm mm-hmm. thinking what I'm supposed to be doing to, to get something done. To me, that's a control. And I think that in there, Darren, underlies one of the biggest issues in cybersecurity and in compliance itself is we all have a different vernacular for the same things. If I say the word risk assessment, I'm thinking of a matrix that says, here's my risks or threats to my organizations. Here's the controls I have in order to combat those risks. Uh, and here's my uh, qualitative, quantitative aspects of those risks. That is what a risk assessment means to me. Somebody else, a risk assessment is a pen test or mm-hmm. an internal vulnerability scan. Right. And so the other problem with compliance is that difference in vernacular, right? Because When somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want a risk assessment, I'm going to break it down and I'm going to give you an example. And by gosh, you're going to tell me that's exactly what you want before we move on, because we may be talking on different levels. Sure. That's good. That's a that's a good reason. But Mm -hmm. but my my only my only counter to that is that the majority of the practices under CMMC are based on NIST 853, which are all controls. So it's kind of they could have (laughs) just stuck with controls, made life easy for it. But no, let's let's make it more complicated. And and that's and that's (laughs) the thing with and that's the thing with CMMC is. It's it's just 171 and 53 on on steroids right. to some degree, right? And so the basis is there, and everybody's freaking yep. out. How do I get to CMMC? Start over there, right, um, right? And you know, and NIST is a NIST is a great framework. It's a great yep. model. There's others, um, but again, they all come out of um, hey, I don't like that, or that's you know, one size doesn't fit all, and so I I can't do that. PCI, as, as much as I despise going through the top level of PCI with, with someone just because of the, the, the veracity and the volume of information. PCI has something right in that they say, pick what you are, now only these apply to you, right? So they have set up several levels. And if, and if you don't touch the data, if you don't have the credit card numbers, then you're not, you don't have to do a portion of what are their compliance requirements are. And I think that's, that's, a, that's the right way to do it. Give me the holistic list. This is what Boeing should do. This is what um, Citibank should do. Now, if I'm a mom and pop down the street, these are only the 12 or 15 I need to worry about. And that's the way you get it right there. Now, because my wife's listening, I should note that PCI stands for payment card industry, correct? <laughs> that is correct. Okay. Just sure. Not that she's the only one who would have that question, but that's, I'm going to get that later. What does that mean? All right. So, uh, so how do your, so your client, when you deal with your clients and you're talking about compliance, do they embrace the idea that they need it? Or do they look at it more of a nuisance or where does it, where did it most come down on? Or does it depend on where they are within the organization? I would say, first of all, it depends on where they are in the organization. Um, if those that are having to do it every day, we'll call it a nuisance. And, and to those folks, I want to, I want to specifically say, look, compliance is just, um, it, it's trying to level the playing field. Don't get defensive when somebody says, Hey, you are doing X, but you should be doing Y. I mean, Half of me is a CPA, the other half's an IT guy. So I can say, IT people, we are very defensive when you come into our sandbox and start messing around, right? This is the way I've done it. This is the way it's always been done. And while I can't disagree somewhat with that mentality because history tells us a lot, the threat landscapes change and you have to change with that, right? So 
there are a lot of folks that do consider it a nuisance. Um, the ones that embrace it, unfortunately, are the ones that um, had a hack, had a breach, had an incident, right? They always, the, one of the jokes, and it's not funny, but one of the jokes is you'll spend money after you have a breach, but, but, but before, and my whole thing is if you've got to spend $200,000 to fix your IT system, to fix the controls, the practices, whatever you want to call it, wouldn't you rather spend that $200,000 on your business rather than give that $200,000 to a nation state or somebody else a clear across the world that you don't know? And then you got to go spend another $200,000 to fix it, right? So now it would have been a whole lot easier at the beginning. Um, one time we had a, we had a client, and it, and it takes governance's buy-in, I think is something we may have talked about on our podcast together, is it takes the people at the top to understand this is important. Uh, because if they don't, then you're not going to get the funds uh, and you're not going to have true buy-in. People follow what leaders do. Uh, we had one client one time that when we asked, we were talking about a, a risk assessment or um, some sort of IT review. Um, his, his answer was, you know what? I think I'd, I'd rather be negligent. I'd rather not know what my risks are and, and, and having not taken a step to fix those. I think I'd be more negligent if I did that. And I said, I just can't agree. I cannot agree. You have to know where your threats are coming from. You have to know where your risks are coming from. And you can't look at compliance and through that frame in my mind. You know, it's, you mentioned about paying, paying for it beforehand or afterhand. I show up, I show a, a picture in my presentations and the top part is it says IT budget before a cyber breach. And there's a guy looking over a bunch of pennies. And then the next line underneath is cybersecurity budget after data breach. And then he's got wads of hundreds sitting yeah. in front of him. And that's a, that's a, that's a perfect example that, and, and the last time you want to talk about, uh, the last time any business wants to talk about spending money is the emotional um, um, toll that a ransomware attack has on you, has on your business, right? Because all you're thinking about is, is my business going to survive? And then somebody's going to come in and say, hey, you got to spend $50,000, $100,000 to get it all fixed. That's a hard thing to take on in that emotional state. And so if you can think about that ahead of time, uh, then you hopefully can can do it the right way. So if if someone's listening to this and they have a small, let's say they have a small business or they have a large business and a medium business, is there a compliance model that works best for them? Is there one you prefer over the other? Or does it depend on your? Obviously, there's different. If you're if you're a healthcare facility, you've got to you deal with HIPAA. If you're right. a municipality, you may have to deal with CGIS. You know, if you're handling credit cards, you got to you deal with PCI. But if you're just looking at a general. You just want to do, so taking all those things out of the mix, right. so you don't have that to worry about. You're just worried about your IT security. Is there a particular compliance model you would recommend just from that part of it? You know, um, we like COBIT. I mean, we're, we're, a, we're an ISACA. Uh, we, we follow, we have a lot of those um, certifications and professionals in our group. Uh, so we like COBIT. Um, I'm not against uh, NIST's CSF framework, right? So what they tried to do was they tried to take 171 and 53 and say, you know what, let's pare this down for a smaller organization. Um, and CSF does that pretty well. Um, you know, as an auditor, I'm going to say that the, there's, a, there's a SOC 2 report that's out there that, that, is, that has a criteria framework. Uh, what's good about it is your controls or whatever you create your controls to be. Um, so you're, you're not really following um, maybe one of those other frameworks, but uh, you know, just finding those. And then, you know, sometimes framework agnostic, I don't know what the word would be framework agnosticity. Well, <laughs> picking what, picking what you want that works for you. Right. But do something. That's my whole thing is, you know what, pick one of those, find five things, do those today. And when I say today, I mean this month, this quarter, 
and then pick five things and do it next quarter, right? So you're, you're, you're doing something different every single day. And I think that's the big piece that a lot of people miss is they talk about it, they write it down in a policy, um, and then they don't do anything after that. That's, right. that's where they get bit quick. All right. So this is the question you feared that would get us in trouble and put on watch lists. So, <laughs> so recently there, been... I, I, at this point, I think I have to say that my views are my views alone <laughs> exactly. and not those of Warren Averett. Oh, good, good point. So recently there've been several news stories about government policies to deal with cybersecurity, such as the, so there was recent legislation. I think this was even before the new administration took over about IOT devices on government networks, where basically they said, you really shouldn't have them, but check and see if you do. That was the extent of the red of the, of the, that particular legislation, honestly. It looked nice. It could say cybersecurity, but it didn't really do it, in my opinion. Didn't right. do anything. This, right. In my opinion, it was a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. And then the Biden administration wants to set up a public-private sector threat intelligence repository, and Connecticut is incentivizing cybersecurity best practices, and DHS claiming they need to take the fight to ransomware actors. In your personal opinion, not the opinion <laughs> of your company, should we have faith in any of these government solutions? You know, it, I will say this. It starts the conversation, right? And, and that's got to be and, – and that, I think, is where the, the, the business world society misses the mark sometimes is they hear all of those and they say, okay, now I'm protected. And the answer is no, you're not. It's starting the conversation and it's getting you to a point of now you've got to take action based on that. Let's take the IoT devices one, right? I think uh, an updated version of that said uh, you can't use government funds to buy IoT devices that aren't secure, right? Okay. Or any. So okay. therefore, you can't buy an IoT device. Therefore, you can't buy an IoT <laughs> device. Very good. Very good. But it also had waivers in it. And it said if you had other reasonable security measures in place, this no, this did not apply to you. Okay. Well, Darren, let's have a conversation about reasonable security measures. We'll come up with 53, and we'll never agree on any of them. Right. Right? And I think that's, that, that is also part of the issue. So will government solutions solve the problem? No. I think it starts the conversation. That is a great point. And I think here is where I think government solutions can be more effective in, 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 by enabling – the private sector to be more proactive in their own cybersecurity without having the risk of having issues down the line. Now we haven't seen a lot of, let's say I'm a company and I get hacked and someone uses my network to hack another company. We see that a lot. Nation state actors use that all the time, get into one company and then attack another right. one. Um, we haven't really seen a lot of lawsuits where company B sues company A for allowing the bad guy in. It's going to take, it's just going to take that one time for that one really ticked off company to say, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting my return from somewhere here. Right. Um, but I think so part of in my, my point there being if the government could make it could, and maybe you have to change laws because because certainly there, there's issues with laws, there's issues with foreign sovereignty. If you're, if you're a company and you identify a hacker in your network and you want to re reverse hack him and he's in Russia, that's a bad plan for your particular company. <laughs> Probably right. not an approach you want to take, but I think if there's a way to create some kind of sh some kind of shared environment to make to, to enable the private sector to be more proactive in dealing with the cyber threat, because clearly whatever proactive measures the government's working and I am 20 years in the government dealing with this. Right. We were right. never proactive other than saying, yeah, there's bad <laughs> stuff happening or knock yeah, on somebody. You know what they are. Nobody knock on somebody's door and say, yeah, you, someone's in your network. We can't tell you where they are who they are or what they're doing, but they're there somewhere. When you find them, please, for God's sakes, let us know. 
but somehow enable some kind of more attacking methodology. Well, and I think that, you know, I've sat back and I've, in, in my business, uh, allows me to do a lot of education um, around cybersecurity and around what the threats are and, and controls, a lot like what you would do in what I've seen you do before. Uh, I think the, the one of the last times I heard you speak, you said, somebody said, well, can't we just go on the offensive? And I think your response was, well, then I'd have to arrest you, right? So that, that, that is the mindset. So right. we've got to say, what can we do on the defensive side to protect ourselves? And, and I got to say, as, as criminal as they are, they're pretty um, co- coordinated, right? They're doing the same things. They are going after the same threats. They are, they are in some essence, um, very collaborative, um, even I think ransomware as a service is now a thing. So they're very collaborative. So why can't we be collaborative on the defensive side? I right. mean, InfraGuard's a great group that is private, public, together. And it's, and it's about educational sharing. It's about, I think you say sometimes, knowledge is key, right? So it's, it's about knowing what's out there. And let's help each other out. I am a huge Rising Tides fan, right? So Rising Tides floats all boats. If I know about a threat and I can solve it, why do I keep it to myself? Right. And actually, and, and, I'm sorry, and, it's, it's and knowledge is protection. What I say, just so knowledge you know. is protection. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. That's okay. But, 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 that, but that's the whole thing is we have to work together as an industry. And when I say industry, I mean the cybersecurity, information security, infosec industry. We've got to continually work together and th- not think of each other as competitors or enemies, even if we're in the same industry, even if we are competing for the same business. We've got it because if we can protect ourselves and then we can protect our industry, guess what? They're going to go somewhere else. Right. And at some point, they're going to have nowhere else to go but each other. And now I, I can't wait for the stories of ransomware attacks on other ransomware gangs or other nation states. That, right. that, that has to be happening yeah. and we're not being told about it. But that's going to be what's that's they're going to have to eat at each other. And then and then we've won. But I don't think that's going to happen right. in your lifetime or mine. And we've already seen some attacking of some dark web forums mm. where it, personal information of the user has been stolen. So I'm all for that. Uh, and I will say, and you make a great point about sharing intelligence among industry partners. Actually, the FBI here in Huntsville has created a, created a new organization two years ago, three years ago, called the National Defense Cyber Alliance. And it's, but it's focused on the clear defense community. So mm. there's a bunch of partners that come in. They come in twice a week and they bring in information from their network. I'm not going to say what information they bring in, but they bring in stuff and then they all go through it together collectively. All the data is incorporated in a methodology where when you look at a piece of data to figure out what it is, because they all can work on it together to try to reverse engineer, identify attack vector, stuff like that. The, you don't know who it comes from. So if I'm, if I'm company A and I give them my information and company C is looking at it, they don't know it's from me. They just know gotcha. it's some kind of information we're trying to figure out what does this mean. And they have found a lot of different um, data streams on uh, attempted attacks, um, malware tools, things like that, that they then share collectively with the people in this organization. And ironically, there have been some organizations that have said, yeah, we don't really want to deal with that. I don't know why you would say no to that. And, and, and they make it easy. It's like you don't have to – a lot of these companies send analysts there to do mm. this work. And a lot of, and they, you can be a partner without sending anybody over there. You just have to you know, share some of your information so they can right. collect and collaborate. And then there's a whole other piece where it goes on to, the, to a government network, and they look for indicators of known activity that they can then share back. But it's a whole thing. But it's that, that same idea where every industry sector could really do this. And honestly, you don't need the FBI to do it for you. 
Mm-hmm. You could very, I mean, there's, there's all these ISAC groups, ISAC groups. Mm-hmm. Other than sharing the same intelligence they see, what do they do really proactively like that? Because, I mean, you're, I'm sure you are associated with or familiar with the, the financial ISAC. Right. What do they, what do, they do? Yeah, Beyond, I mean, and yeah. you, you got to share, you got to share the information. And as a data analyst, because that's another third of my life, <laughs> I'm like, give me that information, right? Let me find the commonalities and what's happening between company A through company Z. And now we can figure out what it is they're going after. And now I can go protect all of that on my, my end, right? right? So yeah. that to mm-hmm. me is collaboration. Collaboration has to be the key. And I'll give, I'll give the Biden administration credit for wanting to set up this public private sector threat intelligence repository. My only problem with it is who store, who keeps the information. If the government keeps it, that's then it's, it's a bad plan destined to fail because no one's going to share that information. You almost need to find a third party non-public or, you know, non-governmental entity to say, yes, we will you know, make a Goodyear or so, actually make it a non-IT company and say, look, we'll, re- we'll be go. the repository. We don't know what the hell right. we're looking at, but feel free to reposit here and uh, anybody can come look at it. So I think if they can make that work, that would be exactly along the lines of, of what we're talking about and sharing that, sharing intelligence of attack things. But, you know, the problem is, and I think I even talked a little bit about this on your podcast, was the problem with IT security or cybersecurity in general is it, it's, a, it's a loss leader for companies. Mm, you don't make absolutely. any money off of it. Nope. Yeah. But man, imagine the money you could save. Right. And I try to make that make that argument to from a just from a annual annualized loss expectancy thing. If you let's say you spend and, and I don't know where you stand on education, but for me, oh. ed, educating employees and making them part of the protective nature of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have to do it where, look, if you do these things, it protects you at home and your family as well as the business, as opposed to just Here's the business stuff we want you to understand. Sign this so you don't bring your Alexa device to my network or whatever. Right. Make it engaged to them. But let's say it costs you $25,000 a year to do that cybersecurity. One ransomware hit is $3.82 million. So let's say you only get hit with ransomware once every 10 years. That's still $380,000 right. a year that you're going to be spending. So, uh, my, my father was in retail. And uh, what he used to tell me when I was little was uh, the, the most important part of retail was three things. Location, location, location. And in cybersecurity, in, in what, what I call cybersecurity awareness culture, creating that culture, it's education, education, education. It is, I have to change my behaviors. Mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to know the threats. I have to know how to combat those threats, whatever they are, whatever level, whether it's business, whether it's society, whether it's personal. But it's creating a culture mindset where people stop and think. We are, we are a, 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 a society of convenience. Convenience drives a lot of what we do. And unfortunately, and one of the things I usually say in my presentations is you have two choices. You have convenience and you have privacy and you will never have them at the same level that you want them. You have to choose one. One is the cost of the other. And so you have to decide, is it more important for me to get this done in 10 seconds or is it more important for me to potentially save $3.825 million by taking an additional 15 seconds to figure out if this is real or not and then go on, right? The speed of business is so fast. Businesses cannot keep up with how fast the the criminals are because there's not just one coming at you. There's 10 coming at you at the same time, right? COVID for a lot of the silver linings that this pandemic has done, I think it slowed down the speed of business. It made everybody stop and think, Hey, wait a minute. Does this seem right? Why am I spending this money? What is going on here? And I'm hoping that that's one of the things that stays in this new normal 
is let's just drop that speed of business and let's take an extra 10, 15, 20 seconds. People in line behind me hate it because when I have to get verification before I make a purchase with a card, because that's the, that is what I choose. I choose privacy, not mm-hmm. convenience. Right. That's a great point. And I think if you look at the, the two largest loss leaders in cybersecurity, at least in 2020, number one was business email compromise. So bad mm-hmm. guys got into business emails and they, they created fake invoices and caused $1.2 billion, I think, in loss to, to, to companies all over the country. Second one was elder scams and then scamming mm-hmm. the elderly online. So those are the two big ones. Everybody can relate to both of those two things in one way or another. So, you know, obviously you want to protect your elderly parents, or if you're elderly, protect yourself or, right, or even right. your kids. Um, so you incorporate that into your business cyber defensive strategy. And I think you get, you can get more buy-in specifically because another approach to look at, and, and I was on a prep call for another webinar I'm doing yesterday. And the guy made a great point. How do you get employees to buy into your cybersecurity plan? Well, you say, okay, you know, 20% of your salary is stock options that we give you for publicly traded company. Wow. And the stock is worth $10 per share. Well, if we get hit with a cyber attack, just based on the news of that attack, that stock is going to go down to $3 a share. Then you get buy-in from the employees to maybe take a little more protection on what they're doing. Or even you can even say, look, if we get hit with a cyber attack, no one's getting bonuses next year. But I don't know if any companies put that in their training. It's all no. don't click on links and make sure you have a good password. I mean, I say right. that myself, but... But it's but it's also don't don't give it just to the IT department. Right. It, it, and and I think that's what you know that's what most people will say is oh that's an IT thing that's an IT thing. Yeah. Well, in in our business and and what you see, cybersecurity is a people problem. Right. There's nothing. I mean, you can have all the technology in the world. If you click on a link, if you did something you shouldn't have done, then that's all for naught. Let's let's not talk about buying buying a firewall and not plugging it in. Let's talk about putting you know. And now with remote workforce the threats are expounded exponentially, mm-hmm. right? Because now you've got people working in unsecured locations and they're unsupervised and somebody comes to their house on the weekend and they see something or they see a password or they see some paper and they pick it up and now you have a breach. So it's, it's you have to be aware of your surroundings, um, situational awareness. It's what I tell my seven-year-old, right? Yeah. <laughs> I need to tell that to every employee everywhere. Is and I think the FBI had had a has a saying you know see something say something right I think that was a after nine eleven yep the slogan mm-hmm. well let's take that a little bit further and go if it seems unusual it probably is and you should probably question it nobody's ever going to ask you to pay for a service with Apple gift cards they're not that, that, <laughs> just put that out there if there's something similar to that it's probably unusual if it seems like it's too good to be true it probably is just like the Nigerian prince right yep. Well, it's funny because my, and this is off off topic of this a little bit, but just guys, the shows that this is, you know, it goes beyond just a cyber problem. My brother is staying with my mother in upstate New York. My my father passed away uh, 18 months ago, whatever. So he's staying up there with her for a little bit. And there was a phone call on their home landline. And when he answered it, the guy said, grandpa. And my brother's like, what, what? And then they hung up. Because I'm pretty sure what that was, was a phone scam where he goes, hey, wow. I, I, you know, I just got arrested. I need $1,000 to get out of jail. Because my mother's gotten that in the past saying my son was somewhere. Hey, did Patrick break his leg? Does he need $1,000? No, he's sitting right here eating pasta or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so so it seems like a lot of companies, at least in my experience, are, are posed to rely on prayer. And then it's not going to happen to me, cybersecurity posture. How do you overcome this with your clients? So when you when you get a client and say, here, here's what you need to do, ah, we're not going to happen to us. We're good. 
you know, you just try to, you try to paint that picture. You try to say, you know, what check would you write tomorrow that would put your business under? But that's probably the ransomware fee they're going to ask for, right? So you, you try to put it in terms where they can understand it. I, I think a lot of people say it's not going to happen to me because uh, they think they don't have something of value. Crown jewels, you talk about it all the time. Everybody mm-hmm. talks about it. It's not just the crown jewels of your business. It's the people, right? It's the people that can be manipulated to send something for a, for a little bit of money. And if you don't have a good culture, if, if, if you don't, if you haven't done what you needed to do to educate on a consistent basis, and I'm not talking about once a year. Yes, that's great. That probably meets a compliance requirement somewhere, but you got to make it daily. You got to make it monthly. You got to make it ongoing. You got to make it a conversation. And so I think when, when somebody says it's not going to happen to me, you just try to look at their business and tell them what it is they're going after, or, 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 you know, just try to find the thing that, that is an, an incident without it being an incident and educate them on that piece and continually educate them. That, that's what I do almost every single day is just constant education to clients, potential clients on, you know, issues, threats, risks that they may or may not know about. So if I'm, so I'll get you out of here on this question. If I made you cybersecurity czar for the day, how would you approach it and solve all of these problems? Darren, I think I would sell ice cream because then everybody would be happy, right? (laughs) So that's that's excellent. So outside of selling ice cream, um, butter pecan is my favorite. Um, You know, it's, it's the, it's the collaboration I talked about. It's the, it's the frameworks. Let's, let's get to a more unified framework um, of, of some kind. And I, and I, and pick one and we can debate it and we can add to it. And, and I think if you do those two things, and you get people talking and you get people helping each other out, we are going to solve the problem at some point. And we're going to solve a piece of it. Maybe we solved the biggest piece and now we got another piece. You know, this is just like love thy neighbor. We never get it right, but yet we still go to church every single Sunday, right? So we need to continually educate and we need to continually be collaborative and help each other out. And if you see something going on, you know, tell somebody about it and, and, and don't keep it to yourself. And so, um, after saying all that, I still think I'd rather sell ice cream. How much would you sell it for? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Depends on what city I'm in. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Paul, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight and uh, hopefully we can in the, down the low, down the line, come up or down the road, rather, sorry, come up with another topic we can uh, talk about. Cause uh, you're I fun enjoy to talk it, Darren. To. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Thank you, too. And that's going to do it for episode 32 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I appreciate everyone for listening. I want to thank Paul Perry again for participating in a very interesting discussion that is a little different than what we normally do, but I thought there was some value to it, and hopefully you found some value there as well. If you have specific topics you'd like me to cover in future podcasts, feel free to email me, Darren, at thecyberguy.com. I'll be happy to try to put something together for you. Until then, make sure that you understand the threats targeting you, assess your risk, and proceed wisely because knowledge is protection. Have a good week.